Two Virginians and an immigrant walk into a room diametrically opposed foes. They emerge with a compromise, having opened doors that were previously closed, bros. The immigrant emerges with unprecedented financial power, a system he can shape however he wants. The Virginians emerge with the nation's capital, and here's the piece de resistance. No one else was in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. Y'all recognize that one? Back row's starting to, like, move. <laughs> the Room Where It Happens from the Tony Award-winning musical Hamilton, which tells the story, right, of Alexander Hamilton and this nation's birth through the Revolutionary War. This particular song is talking about how some of the most powerful men of the time, including Hamilton, Madison, Jefferson, they found these ways to, to move the country forward. And yes, there were committee meetings and, and formal official votes, but, but the, ball, the way the ball really moved forward on some of the big pieces, like where the nation's capital is and how the financial system would be structured and move forth, that was behind the scenes in the room where it happened among the most powerful, the most influential. The song goes on. No one really knows how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens, but no one else was in the room where it happens. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate, this governor in the Roman Empire, asks Jesus. Are, are you a room where it happens person? Pilate really could care less if, if Jesus is a religious figure or even a religious figure that's upsetting his own religious leaders and, and people. It's really not a concern for Pilate. What is concerned is if Jesus is a king, a room where it happens person, a person who has political power, uh, military power, financial power, influential power, perhaps power to blackmail significant people, power to get things done. That kind of person would worry Pilate. The Roman Empire does not stand for those kind of threats. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? It is a strange response. That's neither a yes nor a no. It's, just, it's a response that's a surprising and confusing question. And perhaps because the honest answer to Pilate's question would be surprising and confusing. Yes, I'm a king. Not at all like you're thinking about kingship. Pilate, you heard, replies in a way that just tries to get to the point. Look, I'm not a Jew, am I? No. Your own nation and chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And again, implied, is anything that you've done kingly? Room where it happens-esque, and I, I would need to know. My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom is not from this world. Okay, so Jesus is clear. Yes, he has a kingdom, so... King works, but also, no, not a king in the way we normally think. My kingdom's not from this world. So you are a king, P 
Pilate lays in one more time. Just please be clear. And quite frankly, I feel we're with Pilate at this point. Like, clear this up. So, Jesus, if you're, if you're not leading a kingdom and an enterprise, a nation, uh, in the way that, that all the governments and powers and presidents and senators and monarchs and political folks uh, typically do, what does your kingdom look like? Where is it exactly? How does the power work? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, for I was born for this, for, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And, and, and finally, we're starting to get a glimpse for where and how Jesus' kingdom unfolds on earth. Everyone who listens to Jesus, which means everyone who hears his voice and acts on it, that's where the kingdom unfolds. If you want to see Jesus' kingdom, look for those who are listening to him. If you want to understand where and how this kingdom works and the power dynamics, look for those who listen to him. Now, perhaps Pilate would have been wise to ask Jesus to share a few of Jesus' teachings so that Pilate might better appreciate uh, some of the words that Jesus' voice has been speaking and, and, and then determine what these followers are hearing and what kind of threat might be going on. Pilate does not ask that question, but, but we can. Jesus, re, remind us again, what, what, what are the words we are to hear and obey? The words that when, when heard and enacted, show forth your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What are your words again? Help us to, help us to hear your voice. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whoever wants to become great among you must become a servant. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the good news, yeah, you'll find it. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. That your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Do to others what you would have them do to you. He has anointed me to set the oppressed free. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. 
for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called children of God. We hear the voice afresh and realize, oh, this is a kingdom where the poor, the meek, the children, the sinners, the oppressed, the forgiving, the humble of every stripe, they are the locus of a resurrection power stronger than death, stronger than any other kingdom. Which is to say, this is not so much a room where it happens kingdom, where the levers are always pulled by the ones with the strongest weapons, the most money, the most influence. It is worth noting here, Presbyterians, we have long understood that Jesus' response to Pilate is not Jesus saying, my kingdom is an interior spiritual kingdom, yours is an exterior political kingdom, and they are two separate distinct realities that have nothing to do with each other. The Barman Declaration in our own Presbyterian Book of Confessions states rather clearly, we reject the false doctrine that there could be arenas of our life in which we would not belong to Jesus Christ but to other lords. Areas in which we would not need justification and sanctification through him. We reject this idea that there's just arenas outside of what Jesus is up to and cares about and working on. Or, or, put more positively, the Confession of 1967, also in our Presbyterian um, Book of Confessions, reads as follows. The church, in its own life, is called to practice the forgiveness of enemies and to commend to the nations as practical politics the search for cooperation and peace. Practical politics. But, but they have to fight against pretensions and injustices where these same powers endanger human welfare. Their strength is in their confidence that God's purposes rather than human schemes will finally prevail. Or once more, just a bit further in the Confession of 1967, the church is called to bring all people to receive and uphold one another as persons in all relationships of life. In employment, housing, education, leisure, marriage, family, church, the exercise of political rights, which is to say in all realms of life, we are quite clear. We follow, commend, put into practice Jesus' words. Of course, in our times, uh, given where things are, especially in the realm of the various pilots of every stripe in our day, uh, this just all sounds incredibly naive, right, doesn't it? That song, The Room Where It Happened, it has a few lines that talk about the nature of what goes on in the room where it happened. The art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. Right, it's an image that makes qu quite clear that if we want to get the things that we want, we want to get the sausage, uh, there is much that happens behind the scenes that's um, unseemly. Jesus, in his passage here, may say to his followers, may say his followers, do not defend him, do not sling mud, do, do not get violent. Uh, but, but look, you want the sausage in our system? You want a candidate that can go get the sausage in our system? That's eh, not going to be pretty. 
Later in the song, the lyric speaks again about the, the room where it happens. The art of compromise, hold your nose and close your eyes. How in the world do we bear witness to Jesus' words? Kingdom values in, in the political or business or cultural realms of our life, where we're really, it's just not practical if you want to get something done. Or, or it's pretty difficult to keep your position. Or I, was, I recently caught an interview uh, of Dr. Esau McCauley. Uh, Dr. McCauley is an assistant professor of New Testament at Wheaton, whose work focuses on the intersection of race, Christian identity, and the pursuit of justice. And he said this about uh, Christians and the kingdom of God and how we intersect with, interact with the, the political realm. And at one point, he, he put it this way, and, and, and hear the, the full thought out. I really wish that more Christians would run and lose. Run for office. And he doesn't mean aim to lose, but hear it out. We keep having these ideas that if you're not in control, then somebody bad is going to get in control and they are going to do horrible things. So we're always going to make whatever compromises we have to in order to keep whatever small amount of power we have. Because the alternative is always worse. The problem is we're not actually in control. God is. Now, he has more to say, and I'm going to read the rest of that in just a moment. But, but, but this alone is a rather striking statement. It may not sit well with a number of us. Quite frankly, there are just too many important issues affecting too many lives in this nation and beyond to, to, to just act like we're not going to do whatever we can do to be part of how to turn, turn the ship. Here's where he's going. Christianity is not fundamentally about pragmatism. It is not that the ends justify the means. That, he says, is a sub-Christian idea. The cross is both the means and the ends. In Christianity, the way that you get something is just as important as the fact that you get it. The way that you get something is just as important as the fact that you get it. It's not happens over in the room where it happens, and we don't want to tell you what untold compromises and, and moral whatever happens, failings happen over there, but here's the sausage. The way you get something is just as important as the fact that you get it. Christians are not allowed to put aside the means to get the ends. If I lose, I lose. If I sacrifice my ethics to get what I want, then even in the getting of it, it's going to go sour. At that point, he's just riffing on Jesus, right? What is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? In this kingdom, premised upon hearing and heeding Jesus' words, the, the, the truly stunning implication, according to Macaulay, is that you're willing to lose. Willing to fail having walked with integrity in the way of love. I mean, no, no wonder Pilate never seems all that threatened by Jesus. And yet, even in the possibility of losing or, 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 or failing, always trusting that in this kingdom, dying in the way of love always, always, always becomes a resurrection far more powerful than anything any other kingdom has. Because in this kingdom alone, there is a strength greater than death. Dare we trust ourselves to 
the kingdom of God afresh in both our ends and our means. Yes, in our political engagement, and yes, as we lean towards Thanksgiving and our familial engagement, and the way we operate and share life side by side in a church, means and ends. Near the end of Dr. McCauley's interview, he admits, look, that he's neither a politician nor a policymaker, so he knows his guidance surely has blind spots and limitations, but he offers this. All I'm saying, as we think about the kingdom of God and the political realm, all I'm saying is that we Christians should be always asking this question at the forefront. Where is the cross in our posture? Others may bring to the table different questions, different values, different levers, but the people who confess that Jesus is the king of all the kings, lord of all the lords, president of all the presidents, where's the cross? Where's the sacrificial love? Where's the humility? Where is the ache for reconciliation, the ache for justice, the ache for forgiveness? Where is the cross in our posture? On Thursday, this past Thursday, a few of us from the First Presbyterian staff went and we toured Community First in Austin. Some of you know Community First is a master plan development that provides affordable, permanent housing and a supportive community for those who are coming out of chronic homelessness. And essentially, it's this small town of, of, of tiny homes that these folks live in, and it's, it's beautifully designed and done. And at one point, I'm, I'm walking alongside Dustin Height who's one of the mission residents there, and he's helping provide our staff with this tour. And, and he says, look, all over the nation, lots of folks have built mixed-income housing and tiny home communities and tried any number of housing solutions to homelessness, and certainly that's what we've done here. But the thing that really makes this work here is the emphasis on community. People who live here really do care about knowing one another, listening to one another. He was quick to add, look, not everyone that shows up wants this or trusts this. But always it is offered to everyone. You are loved. We want you to be known. And just as he's explaining this to me, we pass by this beautiful fire pit, stone fire pit in this common area. And Dustin goes, that was not inexpensive to install. And then right next to that, there's this organic community garden that the residents there all maintain. He adds, and honestly, that is not at all a cost-effective way to use that portion of land or the most cost-effective way to get food to the people. But both are examples of what it means to invest in community first, right? It's not called housing First, uh, housing first, it's called community first. And then the next thing we pass in that common area is this beautiful stone columbarium with all of these names and dates. And it just says, you know, a lot of folks who are here don't have family or are estranged. And I thought to myself, well, there is the cross and their posture. There is sacrificial love. There is an ache for reconciliation, right down to their very spending priorities 
They go in the direction that doesn't always make business sense, but makes a lot of kingdom sense in light of a voice that says, blessed are the poor for theirs are the kingdom, is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> to be sure, this particular community does not appear at all politically potent, culturally or financially influential. It doesn't have seemingly any leverage over the big pressing issues of our time, and most of the pilots of our time probably don't notice much about this community. The thing is this, the Roman Empire came and went, as does every other empire, every other nation, every other pilot. What has endured for 2,000 years is this kingdom. Even amidst all the church's deep imperfections and even profound failings at times, still in every generation, this particular kingdom always raises up from the most unlikely, the least, the failed, the broken, and even the dead. Dare we trust our lives afresh to this king, this kingdom, this voice. The truth is, many of us spend an awful lot of time worrying about the room where it happens and who's in it, and if maybe we can get a little bit of ourselves into it. We can name some of us the senators, the justices, the presidents, the governors, the business tycoons, the cultural influencers, and all the rest who are in the room where it happens. We can often even tell you what they said yesterday and what they said 10 years ago, how they voted last week, and oh, by the way, how they voted 10 years ago. Sometimes we can drive ourselves almost crazy with worry about some who are in the room where it happens, and therefore our need to get in that room or get someone in that room alongside them where the sausage is being made. And it is absolutely right and good to be attentive and informed to such dynamics, to be engaged with such dynamics at the local and national level. But, but my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would keep fighting to have me from being handed over. They'd play room where it happens games. And so my question is this, what if we traded some of the time we spend in angst worrying about the room where it happens and, and, and heed another one of Jesus' words, seek first the kingdom of God. I'm not saying be less engaged in all the matters that affect us. No, not, not at all. But rather in that engagement. What if we sought first in our means and our ends that which is in accordance with the voice of Jesus? However the chips may fall. Because the truth is, even in the best election results, verdicts, decisions, actions or inactions born of the room, there will continue to be failure and frustration. There is only one kingdom that endures from one generation to the next. One kingdom where even in failure, especially in failure, there is a rising. And thanks be to God that by the grace of Jesus Christ, we have been made citizens of that kingdom. May our citizenship be evident. And our words, our actions our posture. Amen.